Thank you so much, Miss Pam. That song I, really connects well with what we're going to be talking about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 13. Psalm 13. Uh, and we're going to actually be studying the entirety of the psalm today. It's relatively short, um, but I believe it is incredibly impactful and also um, a good way for us when we look at times of despair or suffering or difficulty or hardship. David's psalm is one that I feel that we can take a lot from in considering how do we handle times in which we cry, how long, O Lord? So when we ask what does it mean to feel hopeless in despair, I think a lot of us can relate to that and can answer that in our own ways, in different ways, things that we've walked through in our own lives. When we you feel tired. You feel your endurance has run dry. You feel there's no end to your suffering. There, there is shared experiences that we have as human beings, no matter how old you are or where you're from or what you grew up in. And, and I believe that enduring hard times, enduring difficulty, enduring long seasons of despair and hopelessness is something that we have at all at one point have felt to some degree. And David felt this quite a bit in his life. You know, we talk often about David the king. We talk often about David the man after God's own heart. David who killed Goliath. David who did mess up and then later repented. But I think what we often miss is, is David the songwriter. David the one who, who, was a, who was a poetic person. David who wrote these beautiful psalms and, and did so in, in, in accordance of what's going on with him at this time and, and how he worked through praying to God and seeking his wisdom and seeking understanding and seeking him for comfort. But in times that we feel hopelessness, I think that we can look back on history and look at times where other people have felt that way too. In May of 1940, the men of the Allied army felt hopeless on the beaches of Dunkirk. If you're aware of this, in World War II, Nazi Germany invaded France and the troops were trying to keep the Nazis at bay but they failed and retreated to the beaches of Dunkirk. Dunkirk is loaded, located right at the end of France, heading towards Great Britain. They're really just divided by one body of water. Over 400,000 troops were surrounded, and the Nazis would deploy these flyers, showing them that they, had, they were surrounded and had no hope of escape. They were toying with them. In fact, they would actually fly over them at certain intervals and just shoot random bombs and gunfire just to scare them and, and make them just feel even more hopeless than they already are. It was an incredibly dark season for these troops. They felt hopeless, lost, and doomed for destruction. Winston Churchill and other military leaders said it would be hopeful if they even got 30,000 men evacuated off the, the, seas of, or the, the beaches of Dunkirk. However, by June 4th, so this is about nine days after this, this siege started. 338,000 troops were rescued. Military and civilian craft came to save these men. Churchill and others called on to the, the people of Great Britain to, to uh, even the non-military people to come up and to use their own resources to help save these men. So they had civilian boats that would go to pull the troops out and they actually called them little boats. And I just thought it was, the name was really cool. And so in a, in a time where they felt that they would only rescue 30,000 men and these troops felt incredibly hopeless, hope still remained. And most of them made it home. 
Some historians will say this was a huge turning point in the morale of Great Britain in saving those troops. And although France was lost, hope was not. There's a lot of examples of this in fiction, right? I mean, Hollywood loves, and even book writers love to have it to where everything seems hopeless and at the very last minute something happens and the hero is saved or, or something incredible and wonderful happens. And, and one of the things that I think of when I think about a season of hopelessness and then at the last minute hope arrives is in the Battle of Helm's Deep with Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. In this movie and book, the kingdom of Rohan was, was hoarded up in Helm's Deep and defending themselves against the evil army. They were completely hopeless. They were outnumbered. They were outmanned. They had nowhere to go. And if this kingdom fell, the kingdom of man would fall too. But then suddenly, from the sunrise in the east, Gandalf the White rides with the Rohirrim to save the people at Helm's Deep. It was very last minute, and you know, as you know, with, if you've ever watched a movie where the hero comes in last minute, you know, the music swells, and, and there's this big triumphant, basically, entering of these, these, the rescuers to come into the fold. So what do these stories have to do with each other? What does Dunkirk have to do with Lord of the Rings? Well, these stories depict a hopeless situation in which hope was still there. Hope still arrived. There was an end to their despair even when they didn't see it coming. And in Psalm 13, David cries out his sorrow and despair. And even in his despair, David still reminds us of the hope that we have in God for those who belong to him, and he teaches us how to respond in times of hopelessness. But here's the difference between Dunkirk and Lord of the Rings and any other literature or film or whatever it is that you've seen that depict hopelessness and then the last minute hope arrives. The difference is that in those situations, those men felt like they had no hope in that season. That, that all hope was lost, that all hope was gone. But for David and for us that belong to the Lord, hope always remains. Hope never leaves. Even in times we feel that we are so far from the Lord, even in times where we have this cry of how long, O Lord, do I have to go through this season of despair? God never leaves us or forsakes us. It's not like it is in the movies. Yes, David is delivered from his despair and his suffering at some point. Yes, Jesus is risen from the dead when the disciples feel that there's no hope that their Savior has been killed. But the difference is that Jesus has already won. The difference is for us that even if our life ends in despair or in a broken state or in a broken season, when we belong to the Lord, we still have hope because of the eternal life that we have with Him forever. But sometimes when we go through this, it's hard to be reminded of that. It's hard to remember the hope that we have in Jesus. And so as we look at this psalm this morning, my hope for you is that as you look at David's words, that you will learn what it looks like to cling on to hope even in times of great suffering. So let's read the psalm. Psalm, chapter, or psalm 13 says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy exalt over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. 
lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Will you pray with me this morning? Oh God, I pray that you would help us, Father, to understand your word this morning. God, I pray that for anyone that is in a season of despair and darkness, God, a season where they feel that they are suffering, Father, I pray that they would be reminded of the hope they have in you. God, that no matter what happens in our life, God, no matter what darkness may overcome us, God, that that your light overcomes all. God, I pray that we would be reminded in times where we feel that you are distant, that you are still near. God, I pray that we would look to David's psalm and God, that we would seek wisdom from it. Father, that we would learn how to pray to you when we are in seasons of despair. God, that we would learn how to be reminded of your goodness and of your grace and of your love to us when we are in seasons where you feel so far. God, I pray for anyone here this morning, God, that is enduring a season like that. God, that's enduring a season where they are suffering, enduring a season where things are hard, where things seem bleak, where things seem hopeless. God, I pray that you would remind them of the hope they have in you. God, this life is fleeting. God, this life is temporary. But God, life with you is forever. God, I pray that you would give us hope. God, I pray that in our cries of how long, O Lord, God, that we would be reminded that you are still there. So God, I thank you for this morning. God, I pray that this word would be a comfort to our hearts. That your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen. So in David's psalm, it's kind of broken down really into into three different sections. And if you're familiar with David's writing, David is very poetic in the way that he writes his psalms. Um, He's, I mean, incredibly poetic. (laughs) The the way he even structures things and uses words is, is all about the poetry of it all. And I'm not an English expert or anything like that, but if you look at the, the text itself and you read the Psalms versus First and Second Kings, you'll notice a distinctive difference between the way that these are written, the words that are used, the, the, almost the way that these are written as song lyrics to sing aloud. And so what is David doing in the first two verses? Well, first David is crying out to the Lord. David's cry, verses 1 through 2. He asks, how long, O Lord, four different times just in these two verses. Four different times. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? David is clearly in agony and distress. And his endurance is fading. He's expressing immense sorrow to God. Now, when we look at this text, and when you look at really any, any psalm, it, it, it can sometimes be hard to tell the difference between what is a literal word or phrasing that he's using and then what is poetry, right? Because we know that in Psalm 13, he says, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? We know that God would not do that to David. When God, especially in the Old Testament, when God would hide his face from somebody or forget them, meaning that God has, has abandoned them or, or does not know them. But we know that that's not true of David. We know that at this point in David's life, David is on the run from Saul who seeks to kill him. The spirit has left King Saul 
and is gone to David. And David is now the chosen king of Israel by God. But what's happening is David is having to go on the run because King Saul doesn't want to give up power. And so in this season of despair, he's being chased by his best friend's dad and is hiding. And he's sorrowful for this. And so the language he uses is how long is he going to have to endure this? How long is it going to seem like God is distant from him? But the reality is, David knows this and reminds us of this later on in the psalm. God does not hide his face from David. He does not forget him, but he feels like in this moment he has. And I think sometimes we feel that too. We express great grief in our life when we go through dark seasons. We feel that maybe God is distant or silent or far. I mean, when we look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, for example, he had a very similar conversation with God the Father before he would go up to the cross. The Bible talks about how he had great drops of sweat that were like blood or literal blood, however you read that. There was great despair and sorrow, but there was not hopelessness. And in this, David cries, How long, O Lord? And he expresses this grief of his suffering. And so church, we sometimes feel like these biblical characters are so far out of reach for us and are so far beyond our own earthly experiences. But church, be reminded that David, God's chosen leader, a man after God's own heart, endured seasons of suffering, endured seasons of hardship where he felt alone and isolated and he felt that God was far from him. And so David shares the same cry that we cry. I mean, there have been times in my own life I've cried, oh Lord, how long, oh Lord? How long do I have to endure this season? And maybe you're in that right now. Maybe you're crying out that to God whenever you're alone or whenever you're in the car. You may be asking, God, how long do I have to endure this? How long do I have to go through this? I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people in the hospital that have been there for a while or people that have endured great seasons of suffering where they've lost somebody in their life or they're enduring something very heavy in their life and they've had to ask the question, God, how long do I have to go through this? But the reality is God doesn't tell us. He doesn't reveal to us how long we have to endure dark seasons that we're in. But we are reminded that these things are seasonal. He cries, how long? And then he prays this prayer in verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light in my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Now, this is kind of an interesting verse, isn't it? See, whenever we, we pray in our seasons of darkness, what do we pray? Oh God, please deliver me from my circumstance. Oh God, please make this better. Please heal me. Please change this. Please do that. But what does David say? He prays, to God for an answer, not for a changing of circumstances, but just to know how long he has to endure what he's going through. He prays for wisdom. He's praying for an understanding. And and in this passage, it actually seems to suggest that he's sick or that he's physically weak. He says, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And a few different things that I've read, trying to understand that, that part of the passage it seems to suggest that David is enduring a great illness or David is enduring great physical distress 
from the circumstances that he's in. And he's asking that God would not allow him to fall into death, but to light up his eyes. But I also believe, too, there's another indication that not only would he would ask God to help him physically, but also that he would light up his eyes literally to understand and know what God is doing in his life during the season. He's asking God for understanding. He's asking God for wisdom to be illuminated as to what God is doing through the circumstance where he feels so alone and isolated. And he's also praying for God's intervention. Look at verse 4. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So here's this prayer in full. Consider and answer me, O God. Or consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light on my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Notice how he is praying. He's not praying, God, please change what's happening. He's not praying, God, I pray that you'd strike down my enemies so I don't have to run anymore. Here's what he's praying. He's praying for understanding. He's praying that, hi Charlotte. He's, <laughs> he is, uh, he's praying that God would give him an understanding of what's going on in his circumstances. He's praying that God would intervene, not to intervene for David's own personal gain, but he's praying for God to intervene so that David's enemies would not prevail, so that God would be glorified. David knows at this point that David is the one chosen to take the crown, that he is God's chosen leader for Israel. And so David, in seeking to want to honor God, is asking God that he would not fail, not that it would glorify David in his name, but so that God would be glorified and that the enemies that want to triumph over what God's plan is for Israel would not succeed. David's prayer is a selfless prayer. And in our own prayers, we pray, oh Lord, how long do I have to go through these seasons of distress? Allow your prayers to be like David's. Pray that God would give you an understanding over what's happening in your life. Maybe why God is allowing you to walk through the season that you're going through. Pray that God would give you strength to endure and not just change your circumstances. Pray that God would be glorified in whatever happens with you in your life. Now that doesn't always mean that God is going to grant you freedom from this darkness or from suffering. When we look at the life of the disciples, for example, a lot of their lives ended in pretty hard ways. But they remained obedient to the point of death. And the reality is, any suffering we endure on this earth is temporary. We're only here for a vapor of time and then we get to go and be with the Lord. And so even if God, for whatever reason, keeps us in the dark season that we're in, He has a reason for it. And we are to trust Him in that. And pray that God would give us an understanding of that, a peace with that, and that we would have joy through that. So what do we do when we enter into these seasons of darkness and despair. One, we, we pray. We pray that God would give us understanding. We pray that God would, would intervene in some way. We pray that God would, would work in us, give us strength to endure. But the second is that we remind ourselves of the hope that we have in God. Verse 5 and 6 says this, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Notice what David says. 
in the very beginning of this passage, he cries, Oh Lord, how long, how, or he cries, How long, O oh Lord, will you forgive me forever? But then he says, I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. How is it that someone can cry, How long, O oh Lord, four different times, but then not very far down the road, says, I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation and that I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. How is it that that attitude change happens? Because that attitude was always there. David had always had hope in God. David had always been rejoicing in his heart of his salvation. So yes, you can grieve your circumstances and grieve any suffering and darkness you're walking through, but in the same breath, you don't lose light of the gospel, the light of the hope that God has given you to rejoice in your salvation, to be reminded of God's steadfast love for you. He's reminded of God's love for him even in something that seems so hopeless. David is reminded that God has been loving to him in every turn of his life. He's reminding himself that in us that in our hearts that we shall rejoice in the salvation that God has given us. If you belong to the Lord and you are saved and you have a relationship with him, there's literally nothing in this earth that can stop that. If you belong to God, even with broken bodies, your soul cannot be destroyed. It belongs to God forever. It's hard for us to understand that though because we deal with very temporal things. It's hard for us to trust that because we, we don't see the bigger picture like God does. We focus so much on our earthly lives that we forget about our eternal ones. But if you have a relationship with the Lord, anything that you walk through in this earth is temporary. Any suffering, any darkness, any despair is temporary. At one point or another, it will end. Either God will deliver you from it or God will bring you home. And in both endings, they're both good. Life with the Lord in eternity is much better than anything we can have here on this earth. But also to be delivered from our suffering and to get to use that to grow closer to the Lord and to, to testify to His goodness is also good. Think about the Apostle Paul when he was in house arrest in Philippians. He said to live as Christ, but to die is gain. He was saying that he's in a win-win situation no matter what happens in his life. It's the same with us. No matter what we have going on in our lives, we are in a win-win situation when you belong to the Lord. But when you don't belong to the Lord, if you've never been saved, if you don't have a relationship with Him, then that hope is not there. That hope is not there if you don't belong to Him. He talks about rejoicing in his heart. It even does so in despair. And you know what that reminds me of? my favorite book in the Bible, James, in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, when James says, Consider it a joy, my brothers, when you endure trials of various kinds. For God produces those things to produce maturity and steadfastness in us. Do you recognize the wording that James uses in that text? It's very similar to what David cries out in Psalm chapter 13. James is reminding us that we are to consider all trials and things that we go through as a joyful thing. Now, does that mean we have to be happy about it? No. David was certainly not a happy guy in this situation. David did not express happiness. But David expressed joy. 
and rejoiced in what God was doing even in a circumstance where he felt that God was distant. And then he talks about how he will sing praises to God because he has done bountifully with him. David still recognizes that God is good. He still provides. And that God is worthy of worship and honor and praise in every single season that we walk through. And even if his circumstances don't change, David's hope is not in what happens with him in this life, but in his eternal life with God forever. And so as it is with us. And so church, how do we apply this psalm into our own life? How do we apply Psalm 13 into our own walks with the Lord in our own life here on earth? Well, the first is grieve. When you go through times of difficulty and suffering and hardship, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to be sad. It's, it's an emotion that we've been given just like a lot of our other emotions and they're, be, they're used to God's glory. We've seen tons of lamenting in the Bible where people that loved the Lord and knew Him still wept. Romans chapter 12 tells us that we are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. It's a regular thing that we as, as Christians are going to go through. We're going to go through seasons of difficulty. Jesus Himself wept, wept when Lazarus died. Even though He knew He was going to raise Lazarus up from the dead, not even th- uh, a few paragraphs later, but he still wept. He still grieved. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to cry. It's okay when you're going through hard things for it to be not a happy experience. But what we're not supposed to do is we're not supposed to lose joy. And I know that seems like a very conflicting thing, but joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is an emotion. Joy is an attitude of our hearts. The next, we, is what we should do is we should pray. When we go through seasons of difficulty and trials and suffering, the first thing we need to turn to is to God in prayer. I think sometimes what we do is we try to fix it first. We try to rationalize and figure out, okay, how can I get out of this situation? How can I make this better? What can I do on this side of heaven to get this worked out on my own, but oftentimes there's, there's not a lot you can do, but pray. Ask God for wisdom. Ask God for understanding. Ask God for strength. Pray to Him. And then lastly, never give up hope. David didn't. And David eventually was delivered from this season. Now he had every opportunity to end it on his own. We read about different times where where David has literally been at at, at different points where he could have killed Saul and made that whole thing go away. But he didn't take matters in his own hands. He trusted God in his timing. And God's plan and provision was better than what David could have anticipated. So our application is to grieve, pray, and hope. And in our cries of how long, O Lord, we must remember God's goodness and love for us. As we have this time of invitation, Miss Pan comes up and, and plays. The question I have for you this morning is, do you have hope in your life? If your suffering or your darkness or your life were to end today, what would happen to you? Do you have a relationship with Lord in which you would enter into heaven with him and to get to be with him forever? Or are you not sure what would happen to you? Maybe in in talking about this hope, that's a hope that you've never had. 
Maybe you've walked through different dark seasons of your life and you've never seen how God can use it for His glory and that you've maybe felt that God was never there. My question for you this morning is that do you trust in the, in the, in the God of salvation? Do you trust in God who allows us to walk through seasons of darkness but still uses them for His glory and our good? Do you trust that God has the best intentions for your life even when things don't work out the way you want to? Do you have hope in times of darkness? And if you don't, I would love to talk to you this morning about the hope that I have in Jesus and the hope that many of us have in Jesus, that no matter what happens in this earth, we will never lose the hope of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came to die for you and for me, and all he asks for us is to repent of our sins and to believe in him. And all of our sins are forgiven once and for all, and we get to be with him forever when we pass from this earth. And not only that, but he calls us to a life where he equips us, where he works in us, and where he uses us for his glory and for his work here on this earth. It's like walking through a darkness but always having a flashlight. It's always having the comforter next to you, the one who is in control of all things, the one who can make all things well, to walk alongside you in every season you're in. Will you pray with me as we have our time of invitation? Father, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in the gospel. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. Father, I pray that if anyone in this room, God, is going through a season right now where they're crying, how long, O oh Lord? Father, I pray that they would trust you. God, I pray that they would seek you out in prayer. God, I pray they would ask for wisdom and for understanding. And God, for strength to endure the seasons that they're in. God, I pray that they would put their full trust in you. And Father, I know that that's easy for me to say in a season where I'm not walking through something like David is, but God, I've been through seasons of suffering. I've been through seasons of darkness. I've had times in my life where I've cried, how long, oh Lord, but God, you have never left me. And you never leave us, God, for those that belong to you, for those that know you and trust you. God, you've promised your Holy Spirit to dwell with us. God, you walk through everything with us. God, you were in control of all things. And God, I pray that we would trust you in every one of those circumstances. And God, I pray for anyone in this room, Father, that isn't in a season of difficulty right now. God, maybe this is a season where they are rejoicing and there's, there's a lot of great things going on. God, I pray that they would be reminded Father, of your faithfulness and of your steadfast love in their life in both good seasons and bad. And God, I pray during this time of invitation, Father, if anyone needs to respond to the text or anyone needs prayer, God, that they would come forward. And God, I pray that even if they don't come forward this morning, that they would at least talk to someone before they leave the service. God, either someone who brought them here, God, or one of our leadership, God, I pray that they would make the request known. And God, if they have questions about salvation, about what it means to have this eternal hope, God, I pray that they would not leave here without asking those questions and seeking that wisdom and seeking that counsel. So God, we thank you for today and for all that you do. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.